everyone, we're right on the nose at seven o'clock. So um, thank you for those that have joined in and well, big thank you to Judy Neal, Dr. Judy Neal and Sherrod Agwell. Good to have you both here. So um, uh, this is a cafe that I'm particularly excited about because it feels like a really good juncture on this bridge to wherever we're going <laughs> to really reach out to the edge walkers out there and, and call us in to do uh, the work that we need to do um, in the world that's emerging. And, um, you know, emergent, in fact, is a, is a word that's really, really struck the chord with me in the last uh, six weeks or so. I keep seeing emergent coming. So I kept it coming around me, coming in emails, coming in posts. And I'm thinking to myself, well, is emergent actually change? Emergent, if it's emergent, is it something? Yes, is it calling into change? And, and where does emergent come from? I mean, is it emergency? Is it urgent? Um, you know, is it new? Is it, is it emerging because it's new? And these are all just questions, you know, or, or, and, and therefore, you know, is it urgent change that needs to happen if emergent and change sort of dance together? And of course, that, that got us into thinking, well, you know, what can really, really um, support us in this new world where new strategy is required? Um, is it? And, you know, these are all big questions. And, and, and if it's a new strategy, how alternative would it be and how different would it be? And how do we know where to look for the difference? How do we find those new places? Judy, do you remember we used to say looking in different places for new answers or looking in new places for different answers? So in sort of this dance between change and emergent and new world and old world, and, and I see you even mooting on your cyber gear website, Sherard, you know, hashtag the next digital normal, you know, uh, and I, you know, I've got a, 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 a good friend in Melbourne, Australia, Ian Berry, who actually says there isn't going to be, any, be any, any new normal. It's a series of no normals, a series of no normals. And why would Ian know? Because, you know, about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, he wrote the book, Changing What's Normal. So we'd already had a look in to see what was normal. And so, you know, it's exciting for me to have in the room today, you, Judy, because when it comes to books, and of course, I just mentioned Ian's book of yesteryear, um, uh, your book of yesteryear indeed is Edgewalkers, uh, published in 2006. And, um, and uh, as you know, Edgewalkers really captured my attention very much for um, its, its tagline, you know, individuals and organizations that know how to take risks, um, build bridges, and while they're doing that, break new ground. And I just think that is so powerful, Judy. And, um, and um, rather than introduce you into the room in the more formal way, could I sort of just introduce you into say, what made you write the book, Edgewalk? Well, thank you, Susan. And, and thank you both Susan and Sherrod for this wonderful partnership that's not just today, but has been going on for quite a while. And, 
Um, we're just all thrilled about that. I think the, the times today so much call for collaboration and for um, not focusing just on my work or what I have to say, but on supporting each other in greater community, moving from me to we. And Sharad, you particularly are a wonderful example of that. And Susan, you're the weaver of people who move from me to we. So I'm just grateful to be with the two of you. Thank you. So why did I write Edgewalkers? Well, it started with um, a friend of mine, Tom Brown, asking me to write just a five-page article for a book he was putting together called The Encyclopedia of Business. And he said, you know, what would you like to write on? And all my work at that time was on workplace spirituality. So I said, well, I'd like, that's what I'd like to write on. And he said, you know, we already have somebody writing on that. And what's really on the leading edge for you? Something beyond the workplace spirituality work you've been doing for so long. And I said, well, I'm, right now I'm leading this group the a group of leaders where we're blending spirituality and strategy in their companies and we meet once a month and we have spiritual practices and they share their business issues and we we weave those spiritual issues into the spiritual practices into the helping their issues and they've started calling themselves edge walkers and i um you know, I had introduced a term to them about people who walk between the worlds. And Tom said, that's it, that's it, write about edge walkers. So I sat down and wrote this little five-page article. Excuse me. So just a second. Sorry about that. Um, Somebody coming in from the edge, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me just actually turn my phone off. I had my phone on in case any of us needed to talk to each other before the webinar, but we don't need that now. Um, and so I, I just started writing about anything that I could think of having to do with people who walk between the worlds and who live on the edge and who are on the leading edge. And, um, and so as I was writing, I would tell people, you know, I'm writing this article about edge walkers. What do you think an edge walker is? And people would start to tell me their different ideas. And, and so in a way, that book was, co or that, that article was co-written with a whole lot of people who shared their thoughts with me. And that article then turned into workshops, which turned into the book, which turned into Edgewalkers International. So it's like one thing leads to another. And that's emergence in my mind, Susan, is that you follow what's in front of you, what you have energy for, what excites you and the most amazing things emerge. Well, they do indeed. Um, and I know during Corona DC, as I like to call it, and I know some of you find that quirky too, you know, BC before Corona, DC during Corona and AC after Corona. Um, you were also, you were very busy as well, Judy, getting other books over the line. So, you know, I really do want to applaud you for I mean, one I know um, with Mel Toomey called Integrating Change, and um, the other with actually um, quite a host of edge walkers, you know, those in the holding bay center to the edge 
um, with, um, I think it's about six or maybe, uh, I was gonna say 16, but 16 to 20 in a book um, with uh, Jochen Altman and Wolfgang, who I can never pronounce his family name, Judy. How do you pronounce Wolfgang's family name? Meyerhofer. May Meyerhofer, that's it, Meyerhofer. Workplace spirituality. And so, um, you know, congratulations on that because getting these books over the line is no mean feat. But Sherad, I mean, congratulations to you too. Because, you know, DC during Corona, you know, being, being the, if you like, the, the veteran in cyberspace from 1996 when you birthed Cybergear, um, when, you know, most of us thought it was a new car that you were putting into fifth gear or something. <laughs> yeah, you, you birthed um, only webinars. You realized as early as May 2020, there were going to be some great conversations in the center of the digital space, didn't you? So what's your year been like, or 18 months been like, pulling us all into the center from the edge? Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> 18 months have changed the lives pretty much of everybody on the planet. There's not a single CEO who can claim that he knew how to handle COVID, right? It caught us all by surprise. We were all lost. We were in a tizzy. We didn't know what next. And these 18 months, I think, have given us time to reflect, to uh, rethink, uh, re-engineer, and reinvent ourselves. And uh, like Susan, you call it, it's been a pause. It's been a reset, COVID, uh, you know, in, in our times. And for me, uh, when COVID struck, I knew that the core business would not continue in the same way, you know, as it was uh, chugging along uh, previously. So as part of reinventing and seeing new opportunities, I happened to be attending a Zoom meeting with somebody in the UK for the first time, uh, 15 months back. And I was very fascinated with the concept that you can in real time communicate with people across continents, get the feedback. And that got me thinking, okay, why don't I take it to the next level, create a platform for conversations, right? So only webinars was born. And I'm a great believer as an entrepreneur to go to market very quickly. So one weekend, I called my team of designers and web developers to office. I remember it was a weekend. And I told them we have to launch this website called onlywebinars.com in two working days. And we did it. And look where we are today. We've done more than 36 webinars, corporate and community webinars with panelists from five continents in the room and uh, audience from 60 plus countries. So it's been an amazing ride. And uh, this platform has already exceeded my expectations and I see a great upside. And it's a great storytelling platform because one part of it is business and making profit, which is called ROI, which I don't like anymore. I prefer ROE, which is return on engagement. And I think that is the new ROI. And you engage people by telling your stories on, on platforms such as these. And uh, thanks to you, Susan, and to Judy, we've had some excellent conversations in the past, and we will continue to do so as we go along. 
Indeed we will. I mean, that's just a brilliant story. And everybody, I put um, Judy and Sherrard's um, profiles in the chat rather than go through the traditional way of introducing someone by their full profiles rather than rather we opted or I opted to go into that little little storytelling there, Sherrard, getting it real. But if you want to look further, it's in the chat. But, you know, today's um, conversation was right, okay, let's call edge walkers to work. Um, but work doing what? At what point is strategy of BC really going to support us going forward? Or do we need some sort of transformational business model canvas, some sort of alternative strategy? And indeed, um, you know, what's the essence? What's the magic? What's that true difference that's going to support us? And, and Sherrod and Judy, we've been talking over the months about this dance between um, the head and the heart, you know, perhaps now asking, listening to the heart first and then asking the head. And in fact, some of us have been mooting that we, we go the, now the head to the heart, to the hands and to plans, you know, bringing bringing them all in to work together. And in fact, if we're really brave, we put the, head, the heart first before the head. So um, if we're sort of saying, well, in fact, this was quirky. Um, I put on LinkedIn the other day, um, I'm really interested in marriage, full stop. And then I went to the next line and I said, but the betrothal that I'm interested in is, is that relationship between strategy and spirituality well guess what my normal posts get views of about 68 69 120 if i'm lucky and i got nudging 700 in, a, in, a, in about two hours now was it that i said i'm now interested in marriage or was it that i was interested in the betrothal between strategy and spirituality. Let's explore that, let's unpick that for the next 45 minutes. Now, here's the format today. We're in a webinar format. Um, in the room, there are nearly 30 of you now. Um, I can bring some of you in to join the panel. So um, I can just pick you, or you can um, indeed put your hands up. And um, you can either then, I'll invite you with your hands up to put uh, a question in the uh, chat, or some of you I'll bring into the room. So do let me know. Um, other, otherwise, I'm just going to pull some of you into the room. Rex, I can see your hand up. So if you could just um, put a little question in the chat, I'd really appreciate that. And then I'll come back to you a bit later. So for now, the marriage between strategy and spirituality. Um, Judy, um, I also know that you happen to be a coach in something called spiritual intelligence. And I know about that too, because so am I. And that's the work of, of Cindy Wigglesworth, the 21 skills of spiritual intelligence. But Judy, what's the definition of spirituality? You know, the, the key word, if I were to just choose one word that defines spirituality, it's connection. And if you want to go a little more precise and say connection to what, I would say that there's a horizontal connection, and that's a connection to other people, to other things you're passionate about, a connection to the world. And then there's the vertical 
connection, and that's the connection to something greater than ourselves that people might call God or Allah or Buddha mind or uh, universal consciousness. Um, those two forms of connection, when they're integrated, to me are the, the most beautiful definition of spirituality. Oh, thank you, uh, Judy. That's really quite compelling, isn't it? And, and, and whilst we're just on with you there, um, so you know, taking connections across the bridge into strategy, is there a connection between spirituality and strategy? <laughs> there ought to be. There often isn't, but there certainly ought to be, especially in these times that you talk about where there's not going to be a normal anymore, that we cannot do um, linear planning. Strategy has always been linear. It has always been left-brained, analytical, based on the past. And we know that there are too many unpredictable things happening now, too many black swans, uh, some white swans, some you know magical things that happen, but it's unpredictable. And so the normal way of doing strategy in the past doesn't work now. And in fact, it really hadn't worked a lot in the past. Uh, there, somebody put in the chat, uh, oh, Sunday Gilchrist, uh, strategy and structure hold the intuitive creativity. And that, that's absolutely the essence of it. Um, one of the qualities of, or actually one of the skills of an edge walker, when I, when I was doing my research on spiritual leaders, there is five qualities and five skills. And one of the skills is sensing the future. And that's so central to strategy right now, the sensing of the unpredictable, ever-changing future, which like Sherrod was saying, go to market fast. They did the cyber gear and the, the only webinars in two days. That's, well, let me, let me back up because that you were sensing the future, you act fast, but the, in the skill of sensing the future has three aspects to it. And the first is the traditional linear analytical planning based on the way things used to be and what we think they'll be like or how they might be modified a little bit as we move into the future. That's called the traditional way of knowing. The second is the intuitive. The, um, and most leaders, if you talk to them about the biggest decisions they've ever made, they've usually done it not on data. They don't want to tell their stockholders this, but they don't do it on data. They do it on gut feel. And that gut feel is one way of knowing intuition. The third way, which I think is the way you and Sherrod and I are aiming to operate in the world now, is co-creating the future we desire. And it's co-creating with each other, but it is also co-creating with the universe, with God, however you want to say that, bringing in that spiritual element, doing spiritual practices that guide you so that you can get out of the box and handle these dramatically changing, difficult, challenging situations. So the spiritual practices really help us with strategy. Beautiful, Judy. So I'm hearing there, you know, that really is talking in before you talk out. And that's whether you do opt to bring the head in first before the heart, or use the heart first and then go to the head. Uh, quite special, but absolutely beautiful. Sherrod, um, 
I mean, you're a lifelong entrepreneur. We've just all, all gathered that, right? Um, um, and during this DC time, I mean, I know, I mean, you said 36 webinars. You must have heard a lot of voices. And goodness knows how many people were in the room over those 36 webinars. Um, so what's your definition of strategy and has it changed in this 20 yeah. months? Where's it going? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> what is big right now is purpose. You know, before COVID, it was mission, vision, values, right? Even today, if you go to corporate websites, you will see a mission statement, a vision statement, but you will rarely see a purpose statement. So I think it is very important for individuals and organizations to define their purpose along with their teams. The onus is not on the leaders to be defining the purpose of an organization. You have to have your team involved and they have to buy into that and sign up for it. Because once you have a common purpose, you are more likely to get there. Now talking about strategy, because you asked me that question in a purely business sense, strategy on its own is no good. It's just like drawing a roadmap. You need to have tactics. How are you going to get there? And I read this uh, a few years back. It said strategy is buying a bottle of fine wine when you take a lady out for dinner. Tactics is getting her to drink it, right? <laughs> so it's strategy and tactics that work together. You define your strategy for yourself, for your organization, whatever it may be, but you've got to have a very robust implementation plan to make it happen. I get a lot of entrepreneurs, young startups coming to me for advice. And, you know, they have these great ideas. But when I ask them, what is your implementation plan? What is your plan B, plan C, plan D? They haven't thought of plan B, plan C. In COVID times, your plan will not work in November. Plan A, you have to have a plan B. And you have to have a plan C as well, because we are on shifting sands, right? So we got to think beyond the immediate we need to be able to predict the future in many ways, or like Judy said, uh, sense the future. So it's, it's about your instincts, your gut feel. And once you've made your strategy, you just have to give it everything, right? There's no going back once you have decided that's what you're going to do. And you'll have friends, you'll have family who will sometimes shoot it down, but it is your determination that will uh, help you achieve success. So my advice to all in the room is, if you're looking at being an entrepreneur, just be driven by that purpose which you have set and get your team on board. You can never do it alone. You have to have a good engaged team. A happy uh, worker may not be engaged, but an engaged person will be happy. And that is a learning post-COVID that's, you know, I, I discovered for myself. Beautifully said. And um, I mean, and can I sort of help, um, I don't know, ease possible tension that might be coming there from those of us that are thinking, oh my goodness, not only do I have to have a strategy because this, you know, seasoned entrepreneur has just explained to me, I've got to have a plan A, a plan B and a plan C strategy too, 
my goodness, overwhelm, underwhelm, neither of them are uh, feeling quite good, right? You know, how do we get into that space of whelm? Well, in heartistry, which is one of the, um, one of the uh, modeling that I was playing with during Corona, uh, um, with the underbelly of Edgewalkers and Dr. Judy's uh, Edgewalker philosophy, um, five skills, five qualities, and five archetypes of change. Strategic heartistry suggests, hey, you know, let's just think about getting from here to here, because indeed you're going to get there. <laughs> you're always going to get there. Now, that doesn't mean, Sherrod and Judy, and I can see Siobhan in the room, that we don't have a, a key vision uh, over uh, right over it there in the distance. And indeed, that could in be, be driven by our purpose. Indeed, it should, I would suggest, be dri driven by purpose or just cause, as the author and speaker Simon Sinek says in his new book, Judy, is called The Infinite Game. And we've heard that before, haven't we? Yeah, but um, yeah, so, so really just go from here to here. So that's coming, that's bringing the, the presence in and spirituality of being in the moment into that strategic canvas. And that can be quite juicy and can give us, give us different dimensions of play. So what I'd like to do now is, Siobhan, you've joined in the room, which is wonderful. So whilst I hand it over to you, can I ask Sherrod to help me out? Um, I, in, in the uh, room, we've got hand up with Kate Watt, and I tried to get Kate promoted to a panelist, but I failed. I will do that. So I could will you do that. Sure, Kate, sure. you're coming in to join the screen. Um, Siobhan, how are you? And what's your notion about yeah, spirit? Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, and Sherrod, thank goodness you did get it set up in two <laughs> days because you've provided a wonderful platform to start having joined up conversations. And there's a number of threads I want to pick up um, from all of you. If we begin with the spiritual, um, there's a beautiful quote by Leonard Cohen that the crack, when the crack appears, the light can begin to shine through. And I think that is certainly spiritually where COVID took us. Suddenly our lives changed very dramatically, very suddenly. People found that there was a new time available, not having to spend three hours a day commuting, suddenly engaging with family in a whole new way. And with that, I think, came started a conversation, that talking within, as you say so beautifully, Susan. Um, and from there, um, when you talk about strategy, I'm also struck by Mintzberg's um, uh, whole notion of strategy being about emergent strategy. You have your strategy, but the moment you start to move on it, out comes emergent strategy. And it's about capturing spaces where we can respond to that. And uh, purpose is in incredibly important. I'm so glad you brought it up, uh, Shirad. But how do we take all of these threads and, and we've got mental health issues, that's another thing that's emerged. And plus we've got this staggering research coming out of the States, out of Europe, I think even over in Arabia, um, that 60% of employees want to give up their job. Um, so we've got a disengaged workforce as well. So the question for me becomes, well, how do we bring all of these threads together? 
And there's a phenomenal model called a learning community. Judy, you'll be well aware of this. It's long established in um, the States and especially in the fields of education. But the corporate sector hasn't quite grasped the opportunity that a learning community brings. And the key thing is, it is a place where it is safe to go when you don't have the answers. And it creates that structure to be able to start to co-create and co-design and discover together with other people who also need to work out what are the answers here and what are the solutions. So that for me is kind of the next part of the conversation is the structure that's gonna bring this together and is gonna um, break that isolation and that stagnation and disengagement that the um, new normal, the hybrid workplace um, has us with at the moment. Thank you so much, um, uh, Siobhan. You always sort of manage to um, really unpick, unravel, and indeed add new, new soil. And, and you very much honed in on the word uh, that solutions. And I know you're working on a program where solutions is actually spelled S-O-U-L. U-T-I-O-N-S, you know, and, and there we've got soul literacy and soul intelligence. And, and indeed, the other day, someone said to me, um, gosh, you know what I think you're doing? I think you're all bringing corporate spirituality into the boardroom. So, I mean, that's really quite um, juicy in the vocabulary that you're creating, Siobhan. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to go into Kate in one second, Kate, but Judy, um, do you have any reflections on um, what Siobhan just spoke to us about and how that might sort of work into how the Edgewalker modelling is available to help um, learning communities really um, navigate where they're going? Over to you. Yeah, thank you. I wrote down learning community because indeed that is what we feel Edgewalkers International is and is meant to be. Uh, as we're all on the edge of something new emerging for us. Um, and I also loved what you said about purpose, and I want to tie purpose and soul together, you know, with Sherrod talking about purpose and, and Siobhan talking about soul and purpose. And just to share an exercise that I've done with some boards that help them move from mission to, and vision to purpose. And that is to actually create a moment of reflection and contemplation and to do something similar to a shamanic journey to go visit the soul of the organization and to ask them to imagine, to sense, to see, hear, feel that soul. And for the people who don't use language like soul, just say, humor me, just use your imagination, just play with this concept, and then listen, see, feel what the soul of the organization wants to tell you about its purpose. And so that leave them in silence with you know, now and then a little bit of guidance for the visualization. And then to, to come back and ask them, what did the soul of this organization tell you about its purpose? And it's amazing what comes out of that. It is a very non-linear, non-analytical approach, but it just gets to the heart of things. It's their own heart and their heart connection 
to the soul of the organization. So that, that's my precious Judy is weaving it. Sorry, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I can see you put your hand up, um, uh, Sherrod, and very precious, Judy. But I just wanted to acknowledge that probably speaks into Nicola, Nicola Johnny or Johnny Nicola, who I can see put a, a statement in the chat. So I hope that that really spoke into where you were thinking about you know, spirituality is integrated somewhere in strategic management. So I hope that um, Judy sort of said, well, what about that corporate soul? Um, Sharad, before I go to Kate, did you want to pop in? Yeah, just for a minute. I mean, yes. uh, I, I want to bring in a point that organizations, uh, you know, in present time, need to experiment a bit to uh, see what engagement levels can help them uh, build a, a good team. And I find this fear of failing is scaring organizations. They got to start believing that it is okay to fail. In fact, if you're not failing enough, you're not trying enough new things, in my opinion. So organizations need to experiment. And I'll give you two very quick examples on engagement. Netflix, for one month, gave full authority to all employees to take strategic decisions. All employees, regardless of their level. And you know what? most of the decisions taken by the employee worked to the company's benefit. Net result, it empowered all the employees. They, they now buy into networks philosophy, I mean, uh, Netflix's philosophy. So this is one. Second is uh, what Heineken tried in Europe was a job rotation policy. So they made people sit on other people's desks for a while, and then they could find out what is their own sweet spot, where they would like to work. And they also got to know the challenges that their colleagues are facing in doing certain jobs. So at times you get frustrated when you don't hear very quickly from your colleague, right? Because you don't understand their position. And this job rotation uh, policy that they implemented worked wonders for them in having a very engaged team. So I urge leaders in the room and organizations to experiment and see and do something different, right? Don't go with the written old stories because old ways are not going to work in present times. So we got to look at the world differently, take the risk and don't uh, be afraid of failing. It's okay to fail, that's my point. Oh, thank you, Sharad. So of course our quest is then, so where do we look for the alternative? Where do we find the difference? And we know where we find the courage in order to apply it, and that's right here in the heart. Uh, some of you have heard me say before, the word courage, if you divide it into two and, and, and um, look at the French vocabulary, the French language, cour, C-O-U-E-R, not quite cour, as in courage, means heart. So, you know, bring the courage in for the heart age and maybe, you know, bring the, bring the heart along for the journey as we're looking where those new places are, Sherrod, and getting that confidence to really go in and um, try someone else's desk or, or indeed give strategic, strategic um, uh, willingness to a willing uh, workforce. Absolutely superb. Takes you right back to your return on engagement analogy, I think, earlier. Um, Kate, I, I, your hand was up a little while ago, but how are you? 
Um, and very well, you, thank you. Good. And do you feel that you can come into the conversation now? Over to you. I I'm just so excited that this is just that this is a thing that it's being discussed because I for so long have lived two completely seemingly separate lives at work versus at home and it's just a constant conflict and I think for me COVID I think I'm one of probably the minority I think probably those minority are probably sat in this room but one of the minority who actually the biggest fear of mine going through COVID was that things would go back to how things were before um actually I feel like this has been you know obviously there's been people that have gone through terrible times but as a collective I think this has accelerated um an essential a shift into new times I think it was needed I think people you just see people changing career paths just doing a complete complete 180 and doing doing what their life purpose is and when we talk about mission and the the mission of the business and when you think about how you apply that personally and what your life mission is I think that's what we're seeing and we're going to start seeing more people in roles and careers and jobs that they were actually meant to be in and that they're happy in and that fits with their value system that they haven't fallen into people will have more courage and more bravery to make those moves um and I think just yeah it, it's just so exciting for me that this is something and I feel like I'm able to move to a place where I'm this I'm living as the same person whether I'm working or whether I'm at home and I think that's that's been a massive um, gift from Covid I think for me. So am I hearing Kate that you're very much wanting an invitation to the wedding between strategy and spirituality absolutely front front row seat susan and you've got your hat yeah i will get a very special hat <laughs> yeah well uh, thank you for sharing that um because yes as you said um if not everyone in this room um many more of us um are feeling perhaps the same that this really is a it's a time where we can um um, we can bring the two in together, you know, talking in before we talk out, and uh, Siobhan bringing the soul intelligence into play, and, and Judy, you know, bringing in some of those wonderful integrants in, in the Edgewalker philosophy and modelling. I mean, before we go up and, and have a chat with Rex and see what you'd like to add to the room, Rex, Judy, in answer to where Kate was just coming from and, 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 and in bridging a strategy and spirituality, what can help us? And indeed, how can Edgewalkers help us? Over to you. Well, you know, when Kate started off, is it Kate or Katie? Kate. Kate. Either, okay. but Kate generally. <laughs> okay, just want to make sure. Um, the when you started off, you said, you know, I might be in a minority here. I might be the only one who's had this experience or seen things this way. This way. Um, that's the feeling edgewalkers have when you're on the edge, when you're listening and sensing things that other people may not be paying attention to, um, that they're trying to do life as normal, the old way, um, you know, just stability. When you do that, um, when, when edge walkers 
want more, want to see the future, want to make a difference, want to um, go where no one, I'm watching a lot of Star Trek lately, so go where no man has gone before. <laughs> and the man part bothers me because they did have lots of women on the Enterprise. Uh, but to go where no one's gone before, the ed that's an Edgewalker motto, to go where no one's gone before. And it's lonely. And the, one of the primary reasons for writing the book and for creating Edgewalkers International is to help people know they're not crazy when they see what others don't see, when they feel and sense that something's possible here. And other people say, oh, you're crazy. That's never been done. You can't do that. Or, you know, you're going to risk your career. Um, I was told that a lot at the university when I started studying spirituality. You're nuts. You can't do that. And it's like, well, then fire me. I don't care. This is what I have to do. This is what I'm called to do. And, and sometimes you do lose your job for being out on the edge or you lose your career. And then you go and you follow your heart, which is again, you know, the great resignation, Kate, all these people leaving their jobs because it didn't fulfill their heart. So edge walkers want to be on the edge. They want to follow their dreams. They want to live a passionate, meaningful life. And it's a lot easier when you know you're not the only crazy one and that you're onto something. It gives you that courage, le cour, Susan, the courage to move forward with this sense of calling because you aren't crazy, you're tuned in. And so I, I think this whole concept of edge, it's kind of like Edgewalkers Unite, calling the Edgewalkers to work now in a world that needs us, needs our gifts, needs what we see, needs our courage. Uh, when we think we're the only ones, that's hard to do. But when we're a learning community, when we're a collective, then we can, we can do anything. We can shift to out of the old normal and the systems that no longer work. Often they didn't work for everyone. They worked for a select few in the past. We need systems that work for everyone and for the planet and for the animals that are going extinct and all of this. We need something that works for the greater good. And it's the edge walkers that are being called, whether you call yourself an edge walker or not, doesn't matter. It's this being on the edge, it's following your passion that makes the difference. And we're going to do it together. Oh, Judy, thank you. I'm sure that I can see Kate and uh, Siobhan nodding away there, so that I'm sure really works. And you were just being still, Rex, but don't be still too too much because I'm coming after you now. So Lynn, thank you very much for coming in with comments and saying how that spoke to you. And William, I hope um, Judy and uh, has now bridged in with some um, solutions um, from Sherard's picture of what it's like there out in the marketplace earlier. So Rex, um, can I give you a couple of minutes just to come into us, bearing in mind we've got 17 minutes left, so I, you know, I need to move into it. <laughs> Rex, okay. how, are, how are you? Okay, okay. I've, um, I mean, I, I was interested in what Charad had to say, because um, I, I do disagree, I'm afraid, because I always find purpose is, is it's too low down as a, when you're with an organization, I've 
always, when I moved in, I've tried to share my vision. And the vision is not something small. It's actually, it is completely from spirit. It's about uh, a change that's maybe possible, might generally be impossible. And the team have to develop it, not me. We sort of explore it and discuss it because once you've got the vision there, the next sort of question is, so how do we achieve this? And that's your strategy. And it's interesting that um, if you go for purpose, it, it hobbles the strategy because effectively it almost contains the way of doing it. So, and I use this because I um, found it subsequently in NLP. The reason I say this though, is that in 1985, I took over um, a large filing hospital group and uh, you know, nobody wanted to touch it because it was such a disaster. Within 18 months, we were outperforming everybody uh, in, the, in the sector. And the reason was that I decided that my job was to create the environment for success and not be the success. So everybody in a sense, uh, what we did was create trust within the organization that whatever went wrong, I would support them. It wouldn't be right, you know, you go so that I can keep my job. It would be, if you've done, if you're consistent with our vision and with our purpose, if like our purpose, then I will back you 100%. I always felt that a good leader should be able to allow the manager six opportunities to get things right before you stepped in and told them what to do. And it's a real big challenge sometimes to stop trying to tell them what you want to do. What was interesting, though, is um, we were put forward for one of the national training awards because part of all of this is teaching people how to behave in this new organization. I didn't even have an organogram because everyone could talk to everyone. There was no structure or lines that you had to obey. We were audited by a group of six auditors over six weeks and there were 41 health centers and clinics and nine hospitals involved. And at the end of it, they came back to me and they said, everything you've said in your submission is true, but there's something that's quite remarkable and we can't put it in our report, but we want to tell you. I said, okay, what's that? And they said, if you were to blind any blindfold any member of our team and put them into a building, we could tell you just simply being in the building if you have a hand in it, because there's a sad, tangible sense of joy and happiness in every building that you have an interest in. And that blew me away. And it was incredible feedback. I subsequently lost my job because everybody, I then sort of tried to persuade the organization above me to re, restructure so that it too, in a sense, could pick up what we were doing but all of the other chief executives were so um, scared that they voted against me and they restructured, but not in a way that helped them. And I left. And since then, almost every job that I've been involved in, I've done the same thing, but I've always lost my job because other people find it such a, um, it's almost like a, they're being confronted with the truth they don't want to know. So they get rid of you. Um, if you've lost your job, uh, Rex, it's because you were perhaps called to go elsewhere. So maybe it wasn't yeah, <laughs> that you lost, there was a lot of gain. And, and it sounds to me that what, um, if I was to put a name to what we can't tangibly 
describe what you've done there, it's the X factor. You were able to define something that we actually can't quite define, but it makes I think, yes. such a and this big is the difference. spiritual. I think this is the spiritual. And the interesting thing was... I'm going to leave you there, Rex, yeah. because just because we've got to move forward. But I just think that is so beautiful. And, and thank you so much for, for bringing that into play. And um, I'm just going to just say a, a line, perseverance works. So please don't give up. Right, keep keep going with it. And and Sherard, I mean, what I was listening to Rex and it took me into something I've read in your, I know you love quotes and all of that stuff. And and I think you're you've even got a philosophy, let alone a purpose within Cybergear. And it's something like we never lose, we win or we learn. Is that right, Sherard? Over to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, that philosophy I learned uh, while I was attending uh, a government summit in Dubai many years back. And there was this uh, representative from Google who was talking about innovation. And I asked him a very simple question. And that was, what makes Google such a different company from others on this planet? And he thought for a while and said, at Google, we celebrate failure. At Google, we celebrate failure. And you know, that was a defining moment for me because as he spoke, he gave an example of how if anybody in Google fails, he comes back to his office after that particular incident or meeting and rings a gong, a bell. Everybody drops their work and assembles there to listen to his story. And there are so many learnings for the rest of the team. They know how to handle it going forward. They don't make the same mistakes. And I don't think there is any CEO in this room who will raise his hand and say, I celebrate failure. It takes a lot to say that. And I encourage people to try new things and keep learning. I mean, you will never lose, trust me. You will win or you will learn. Over well, Shiraj, you you've mentioned a few times today uh, storytelling. And, and indeed, uh, I think Siobhan and I, we've mooted a few times, just, um, uh, just the importance of storytelling and indeed how helpful um, they can be. And we've even um, looked at a definition of, um, in marketing of somebody again in Australia, Bernadette Jiwa, who calls marketing a series of helpful conversations. And indeed, if we sort of stretch that a bit further, that all of our conversations, particularly if they're underpinned by stories, such as Rex's very rich story, which he was had the confidence and the courage and the, the presence of mind to keep taking in to new organizations, even if he knew he was going to be uh, bounced out at the end and he just knew you'd springboard onto someone else, that onto somewhere else. But you know, just having helpful conversations really does indeed help the world go around and brings us straight into those learning community networks, Siobhan, as well. That's all what it is, is about. Shadwick, I'm so pleased to see you, Shadwick, I'm so pleased to see you in the room because um, a couple of the cafes ago, I wanted to pull you in and there wasn't an opportunity. So you're in today. Uh, Shadwick, over to you. What have you um, heard today, Shadwick? Thank you very much, Suzanne. Now you put pressure on me. I wasn't going to say anything <laughs> profound. I can't have you here in the panel room without pulling you in. 
gone. Thank you. No, I just wanted to, um, you know, to share what came up as Judy was talking. Um, it just brought back memories of my own little journey, uh, you know, of um, uh, age workers. I remember first time that I had a conversation on this platform, I think with Judy, or did we do this on email? I can't remember. But she said something to the effect, you are an age worker yourself. I just said, oh, come on. She says that to everyone she wants to attract to this, to this group <laughs> and dismissed it. But as she talked now, it brought me really, um, you know, back to some of the experiences that I had myself. I'm a physician. I went to a corporate uh, after 15 years or so of really delving, going deep into Eastern and Western philosophies. And, and then went to business school uh, to study leadership and management, at the end of which I was convinced at that time that what is missing here uh, is uh, spirituality. But uh, I didn't call it that at the time, but I said spirituality. And I remember uh, at the end of the training, I, I did a leadership framework. Uh, we were asked to do what leadership now is for us. And mine was what is required in the current situation in the world is spiritual intelligence leadership, I said. Uh, and so uh, I did that, I went to corporate. I didn't stay. After a few weeks, I resigned from corporate. Uh, I was uncomfortable before, I was even more uncomfortable after that. And then uh, I decided that I was going, now comes to purpose. I decided now I know what my contribution is beyond being a doctor. Uh, and uh, I resigned from the job. And within six weeks, I got a call from uh, the professor at the university, at the business school, to say where there's a new post in leadership in healthcare management. Are you interested? And uh, I said, yes, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, it was as if everything was now lining up uh, to my purpose. And yes, at the end of the year, I joined as a senior lecturer in leadership, but with an agenda that I was going to introduce um, this spirituality in the training of leaders at a business school. And I put together a course, which I called uh, Consciousness and Personal Transformation. And I remember the first walking into an MBA class to say, this is consciousness and personal transformation. Just, you know, everyone was just, uh, <laughs> or most of the students were so unhappy about that. To cut a long story short, the, first, the next two, three years were difficult with colleagues. I remember the, a professor of leadership sat me down and said, Shadrick, you're teaching here, you're calling it consciousness. I want you to stop. If you want to stay here, you stop this now. This business school is one of the most prestigious. Don't mention this word again. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I remember me sitting there with certainty. Uh, instead of listening and running, I just looked at him and feeling, well, he hasn't got it yet, <laughs> you know? Um, so I stayed and the pressure was so hard that almost after that, I was pressurized into quitting. And then a new director, a new dean came. Uh, and I remember he invited all academics, mm -hmm. including me, to go and have a, a word with him about what we do. And I remember going into his office and he says, okay, so what do you do? And I said, well, you know, I'm a physician. I've been teaching management and leadership here, particularly consciousness and personal transformation. So he says, what is that about? So I told him, expecting him to actually to be freaked off and say, okay, get out of my office. But instead of that, I was resigning, but 
his reaction was completely different. Uh, he says, well, I, wasn't, I didn't even know there, there are academics like you in this country. This is cutting edge. Where do you teach it? So I told him, you're going to teach this in all classes, executive MBA, MBA, etc." <laughs> and I'm going, are you kidding me? And, and that's exactly what happened. That so, is amazing, Shabriks. Thank you so much for sharing it. I mean, we call this, you know, being awake to listen, yeah. being awake to listen. And, and again, like with like Rex's story and, and also, you know, Kate's revelation and, and Siobhan's sort of real unpicking um, of the soul. Um, this is our time. And, and as we, I think you were, I was hearing you speak there, Shadwick, using the word consciousness, etc. You know, a, a quite, a, quite a um, sort of a, a, an early, raw stage of uh, of people's ability to take in those words that obviously touched them in a very, very precious and tender way, but they weren't yet um, uh, in their heads, and their academia wasn't really allowing to get through into a new corridor of conversation. And so, uh, you know, it just brings me to the phrase that words matter. You know, they really, really do matter. And, and Judy, I mean, how many times we've had the conversation about vocabulary and glossary and words and being awake to listen, but knowing that we just must stay with the words that we know open up that real difference in energy. Right, Judy? Over to you. Yeah, we've, we've joked about the importance of using the S words, like spirituality and soul. And, and Shadrick, I really loved your story and want to underscore that what I see now in terms of the vocabulary, you know, to build on what you're saying, Susan, is a real, real um, magnetic energy around consciousness. That, that spirituality um, is a word that sometimes has, like Cindy Wigglesworth talks about an allergy. People have an allergy to words like spirituality or religion or faith. Um, but the word consciousness has so much science behind it that that becomes a more neutral word that, that um, has a broader acceptance. I think we're talking about the same thing in all cases. Um, but that's now the language I'm hearing within academia, within business, within learning communities. Um, and so it's very exciting to hear the work that you're doing. And it's indeed, Judy, I agree. Judy, look, our time is coming up and, and whilst our excitement is high, um, I'm gonna just go to you and Sherrod for a little bit of a takeaway. Um, you're, you've got the camera, uh, Judy. What, what would be an overriding takeaway take for today? we could carry with us into the morning or the evening. Over to you. I think the first takeaway is you're not alone and you have to do what is yours to do, yours alone to do. But you can do it in community. And so it's wonderful to have everybody here together. Thank you very much. Indeed, we're not alone. So the edge walk doesn't need to be you walking alone for sure. Um, Sharad, um, you know, from a global hub in Dubai and with your deep entrepreneurial spirit and your strategic mast held in your hand, what's your takeaway in this betrothal between strategy 
and spirituality. Yeah, I think we we have we all have to seek uh, happiness in whatever we are doing. Uh, we have to uh, shun the profits on one side and everything else that we are doing uh, on the other side. We have to maintain a work-life balance going forward. Just because we are working from home in present times or in a hybrid environment, uh, work-life balance is extremely important. We cannot be in an always-on mode. We cannot be looking at a mobile 130 times a day. I read this somewhere, an average person looks at his mobile 130 times a day. Okay, there are statistics. And this radiation is messing up with our brain. There's, there are enough studies. Ariana Huffington, uh, uh, you know, hired a team of R&D people who researched the subject. And the mobile phone and all this technology is destroying us. And we'll come to know about this in time. So here is a warning. Uh, stay a little away from technology, keep your mobile off when you sleep in the night, follow these basic principles, work-life balance and happiness is what we should go after and express gratitude for being so blessed and being uh, together to have this conversation. Well, um, very, very wise counsel coming from a digital guru from the 1996 <laughs> and indeed you know one of our heartistry quests is how to stay decisively human in the digital era how to stay decisively human in the digital era and and certainly you know keeping devices out of the bedroom i think is is a is is you know, a very simple life lifestyle um reality right um, Siobhan, have you got a little saying for us to close the session before I go into news? Over to you. I just want to express gratitude to the three of you for creating this space, for having the courage to um, bring this marriage and to um, bring it to a global audience and to be such um, phenomenal edge walkers. Uh, real thanks. And I think I pick up on all the audience and um, uh, the appreciation that's out there and there is a massive appetite for this. Um, so thank you for, for leading the way. Well, thank you, Siobhan. And do I take it that you, like Kate, would like an invitation to the wedding yes, celebration? Darling, I have my hat. You have your hat. Jolly good. Okay, um, everybody, thank you so much for joining. We're just a little over the hour, so that was uh, really full. I just want to say that um, we run these cafes every month, and the next one is um, the 18th of November. And indeed, it's very likely that, Judy, you will be hosting Mel Toomey your, your co-author in Integrating Change, the art, the craft, the, the science of organizational transformation. Is that right, Judy? That's the plan. Yeah. I'm, very, I'm very much looking forward to that. Mel Toomey has been a real mentor and a friend for me and somebody whose work just blows my mind. Um, so be ready to have your assumptions challenged and your the possibilities of new ways of being in organizations offered. It's just, he's, his work is fantastic. Wonderful.
So that's the 18th of November. And of course, in between times, there will be Edgewalker blogs uh, fresh up on the site. Um, Sherard also has some of them on his only webinars blog. And um, uh, um, there will also be a newslet newsletters coming out. And if any of you want to step in, you know, we've got some fabulous programs that are uh, ripe for the taking. And Sherard, what's happening in your neck of the woods? When's your next webinar and what's the topic? So we have quite a few coming up. Uh, there is a plan for impact where we are talking about uh, community involvement and how we can rise together and many other topics. So I would request the audience just to keep checking in on onlywebinars.com. We have a whole calendar of events and would love to see you on the other side. Wonderful. And actually connect with us on LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is on fire. I did put Sherrod's uh, LinkedIn contact in the in the chat um, and I put Judy's uh, link right to the Edgewalker site because I thought you also might like to want to look at the Edgewalker qualities of being, the Edgewalker skills and the archetypes of change. And indeed, Judy, you mentioned um, about being an Edgewalker. There's also a lovely piece on there. Are you an Edgewalker? So you can just have a little look down and see if any of the 20 statements that speak to you. So we're just over the nose. Um, thank you all so much. Uh, Kate, Rex, Shadrick, Siobhan, thank you for being brave and coming into the panel room. And um, everyone else, thank you so much for your commentary. There's heaps in the chat and we'll see you all soon. God bless. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank, Bye -bye. Thank, so Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.